Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited that you're here, Pastor Dwayne. Thank you. I'm glad that you're excited you, that I'm here because usually you're not here when I'm here. So this yeah. is kind of a change. And you're, you have your beautiful sweater on. I had to wear my, uh, my, uh, my ugly sweater. Does that represent something? It represented the fiat that we used to have. That my, it's a fiat with a Christmas tree on it. Right. We're, we're small people, so we had a small car for a long yes, time. Yes, yes. But I also have my uh, Mickey Mouse Christmas socks on, too. Your so, Mickey Mouse Christmas you know, socks. I got it all. Of course, represent <laughs> Disney. Yeah, pull that, pull that down just a little yeah, bit. Thank I you. I don't want to tempt anybody right now. Watch all right, out. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to send anybody to counseling. Showing. All right. It's great to have you here. I love you. you. I love you. And I'm excited to hear you speak. (laughs) Thank you. The comedy stylings of Pastor Dwayne and Pastor Ricardo, everybody. We'll be here all week. (laughs) Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. That was bad. It's the best, most wonderful thing you could say to someone. So let's try it again. Merry Christmas. There we go. It's my favorite time of the year, and I'm so happy to be here to share with some reflections with you today on this third Sunday of Advent. As we've heard, Advent is far more than little calendars with chocolate inside of them that we open for 24 days before Christmas. Although those can be very tasty, unless you get an old one and then you open the chocolate, you're like, oh, why is it so gross and waxy? You ever had one of those? That's not very joy to the world, right? It's like, ugh. That's why we give them to the kids. We say the good stuff for ourselves. Uh, we already learned together, Advent is this time to prepare our hearts and our minds for one of the most incredible, wonderful, mind-blowing, and life-altering moments in history. Advent means the arrival or the coming. And it's a time for us to pause and truly think about what this momentous moment means for the world. It's a time to reflect on something that has become so familiar that we may not even realize sometimes what Jesus' coming means for each one of us today. After looking at this big idea of uh, faith and hope, today we're looking at, as Pastor Ricardo said, something that is very dear to my heart. It's the concept of, uh, of something wonderful. And I'm not talking about Disneyland, although I love that too. I'm talking today about something that is so important that he made sure it is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. It's a word and an idea that is so central to our faith, and yet so many of us struggle with actually experiencing it on a daily basis, especially uh, this time of year. You, we, we hear it, we, we sing about it, we mention it, we put it on posters, we put it on, on things we hang on our wall. You can even walk it down into a, I was at our, uh, walking to Albertsons the other day, and they had these banners hanging in the parking lot, and there was the word for all to see, and yet everyone walking by it did not look like they knew what it was at all. That word is Joy. Joy is something that we don't understand as well as we should, I I don't think. Uh, Part of the problem probably is because joy is not very well defined these days. If you look up the definition of joy in the dictionary, or if you do what most people do these days, they don't actually own a dictionary, but they type in, you know, joy, and then it says, pulls up a definition on your Google or Bing or whatever search engine you choose to use, this is what comes up. The emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Based on this definition, joy is a lot like happiness. It comes and goes based on how well we are doing or by what we have. So 
based on that definition, joy comes from getting your paycheck. Joy comes from having kids that everybody likes. Or finally getting the TV that you had your eye on that your wife finally says, okay, you can get it. Based on this definition, joy could come as a result of finally getting through the drive through line in and out and tasting that delicious double-double. <laughs> to make the analogy more Christmassy, uh, put it this way, joy comes from having a Christmas tree. Joy comes from eating gingerbread cookies and drinking eggnog, listening to Christmas music, and watching whatever your family's favorite Christmas movie is. But what happens when December's over and the Christmas tree has to be put away? Or when you realize, holy cow, I ate too much gingerbread and drank too much eggnog and I gained 20 pounds during the holidays. When you finally get sick of hearing Mariah Carey sing, all I want for Christmas is you. If you're not sick of it yet, then what's wrong with you? <laughs> what if you can't find your favorite movie on your favorite streaming device anymore? They took it off. Joy is gone. It's ruined. Well, that's the problem. If joy is defined by happiness and by what you have, then joy is fleeting. It comes, it goes. See, the world wants us to define joy based on our situation or our circumstances. But the Bible tells us that joy is something much different. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the book of Philippians, Paul reflects on the end of his life. He is going to die soon. He knows it. His life is going to end. And he says this, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Paul tells his fellow Christians that he will have joy. To have joy or, or experience joy is what the word rejoice means. So when he says, I will rejoice, it means I'm going to be full of joy even as I die. And as I die, he says, I want you to be joyful with me. Well, that doesn't fit at all with the, de 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 the definition in the dictionary. Because having something means you're joyful, then losing something means you're not. And losing your life, it's kind of a good thing to have. When it's gone, it's like, oh, well, I can't be happy anymore. Well, yeah, because you're dead. I mean, you that's a whole other thing. We're going to do that today. Joy comes not <laughs> from what you have and what you get. It says it right there. Paul is telling us the complete opposite of that. He's saying that even if he dies as a result of his faith, he's going to experience this joy. So how can we feel that way? How can, how can he encourage his readers and us to feel that way today? Well, because the Bible's idea of joy, it, it's, it's so much bigger. It's so much grander. And so much more wonderful than just a feeling based on how your day went. I had to drive here from Chino Hills in the rain. I'm originally from Washington State, where it rains all the time. Guess what? People in Washington know how to drive in the rain. <laughs> People in California, oh, 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 or they're driving like, I'm so scared it's raining right now. I can't move down the freeway. I don't know why they sound like from the South, because that's clearly not where we are. But you see... You, I could have lost my joy a thousand times if it's based on how I feel or how my day is going. You can lose your joy because someone sat in your seat this morning if that's what joy is all about. You could lose your seat because you don't like my sweater. 
which is a shame because it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Happiness comes and goes. We can be happy or unhappy based on traffic, the news, or even a shoelace. I know that sounds stupid, but when you're hurrying somewhere and your shoe comes untied and you step on your shoelace and you fall down and you rip your jeans and someone says, nice job, ace, but you know they didn't actually mean it? Oh, that just happened to me. <laughs> yeah, it can cause you to be unhappy, right? So what is joy? Well, in the Bible, the most common word for joy, I'm sorry, I used to be a teacher, and so I'm going to get a little teacher for you, okay? Just, I'm so, so sorry, adults, you don't go to school anymore. If you're a young person, you go to school, I'm so sorry, but you kind of get some cheap teaching here on Sunday. The Greek word is kara. You know Greek today, good job. You learn something. This is the definition of kara. Great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Oh, I like what that says. I'm going to say it again. Great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. I love that definition. It ups the ante a bit on what it takes to be joyful, doesn't it? It's not just, oh, I got a sandwich. Look how happy I am but it's something that fills us with delight, something that is exceptionally good or satisfying. Now, I'm not saying a good meal can't make you feel that way. This last Thanksgiving, we had the most amazing food at our Thanksgiving dinner, and everyone kept saying, as they were like, this is the best food I've ever eaten at Thanksgiving. So I think in that moment, there was joy in people's hearts as they were like devouring, you know, the food. And their faces looked pretty happy too you know, with the mashed potatoes and the stuff spearing all over it. But they were, you could tell there was joy in the house. But it goes so much deeper than that. One of my favorite writers ever, his name is C.S. Lewis. Um, he uh, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Probably heard of him. He uh, loved this concept of joy. In fact, the book for which, uh, in which he explains his conversion to Christianity, because he grew up uh, going to the Anglican church. It was part of his life. His mother died, and his father was not a big, really big into it. And he became an atheist, literally the opposite of what he grew up as. Walked away from his faith. I don't believe in God. God does not exist. In his autobiography called Surprised by Joy, he explains how joy is the thing that brings him back to a relationship with God. He said this about joy. Joy is unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. Okay, that may be a lot to unpack, right? But what I think it's saying is that joy is something that fills us with a longing for an unspeakable, amazing thing that even if we don't actually get it, we still want it more than anything else that we could possibly ever want. It's like, oh, this moment, I feel this. Oh, I really want this. And you're like, oh, oh. you don't know why you're like suddenly happy and crying, all this kind of stuff. One of my other favorite writers, who happened to be very good friends with C.S. Lewis, was a writer named J.R.R. Tolkien. He also loved the idea of joy. He was the author of a little series called Lord of the Rings. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, he wrote this, uh, that his goal as an author was to give his readers the consolation of the happy ending. You ever read a book and you get to the end and it kind of isn't very good? Or you watch a movie and the ending kind of sucks? You're like, where's my happy ending? Where's the, where, this did not work out well at all. You know, if it's a true story, sometimes that's the way life goes. But if you're the guy who's writing the story, why can't you give people the consolation of the happy ending? Tolkien goes on to identify this consolation as taking place at the point in the story when all hope appears to have been lost 
when disaster seems inevitable. At that precise moment, joy breaks through, catching everyone by surprise. Who wouldn't love that? In a 1964 essay, he called that instant a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. As deeply as you can feel sorrow, this great sense of loss, joy is the opposite. It's that thing of such a sense of filling, such a sense of fulfillment and wonderfulness that you cannot even contain yourself. He actually made a word up for it. I would love to be a guy who could make up a word and just everyone was like, oh, that's a word. You know, but I, the word that I would come up with, somebody already did, is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, but it kind of exists already. The word he came up with is this. Uh, it, 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 it's called the eucatastrophe. Say that with me. Eucatastrophe. Yeah, it's a big word, isn't it? Congratulations. You know a $10 word now. You know Greek and a $10 word that some guy in England made up in the 60s. Good job. This word means this. The moment when the light of deliverance breaks through the darkness of despair. The moment when the light of deliverance breaks through the darkness of despair. In coining this word, he was referring to that moment when evil fails and righteousness suddenly triumphs. At that moment, at that moment, the reader feels joy. A catch of the breath, a beat and lifting of the heart near to or indeed accompanied by tears. How brilliantly descriptive. Think about that for a second. Have you ever had a moment like that? Have you ever been in the middle of a moment where everything felt nearly right and perfect and you felt you could almost probably touch it, but the second you started to identify it, it was beyond your grasp and all you could think about was, how can I get that moment back again? I've had a few like that in my life. When my children were first born and I first saw their faces and heard their cries and I felt their tiny fingers wrapped around mine, I would give anything to have that moment again. Now when they grab my hands, It can kind of hurt if it's my oldest son, he squeezes too hard, or my youngest son literally yesterday wiped his nose and then shook my hand like, thank you so much. This is not joy. This is disease. This is the opposite of joy. Sorry, Gus. When I stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon for the first time and looked out the expanse, the depth, and I felt the wonder and the majesty beyond description, it is so big. And I am so small. When I used to go to the drive-in late at night with my grandfather after I got out of college, um, he wasn't supposed to do it, but my grandma would go to bed. He'd come to my room. We, we lived in the same house. And he'd come to me and go, hey, do you want to go to the drive-in? I'm like, yes, of course. And we'd get in the car. We would listen to old jazz music and eat cheeseburgers that were not good for us. And he would eat his butter pecan ice cream I would give anything to be in that moment again. When my wife, Robin, said yes to my proposal on Christmas Day 25 years ago this year. Yay for us. Congratulations. We made it. <laughs> Don't thank me. Good job to her. That's what, she's, got, she's got to live with this guy. I can't even imagine what's that like. I'm so sorry, honey. I love you so much. You've had your own eucatastrophe moments. You can, each one of you. I don't care how old you are. You've had a moment like that. You can remember each one vividly, and they make your heart leap. They bring a tear or a smile to your face, and you know that that moment, that moment right there was unlike all the rest. Why? 
Because in that moment, in that wonderful heartfelt time, you are experiencing joy, which is itself something that comes directly from God himself. The psalmist says this in Psalm 16, in your presence, God, is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. So where can we find all that is delightful and exceptionally good and satisfying? The Bible says it's found in the presence of God. That's what fullness of joy means. And that, my friends, is what we were created for. We were created to experience this joy by being in his presence, by being with him, by knowing him. For us to truly know that something is more than a fleeting emotional response to our circumstances, we have to be in his presence. We have to be close to him. And that's, that's how the Christmas story starts, you know. Usually when we tell the story of Christmas, we start around where Pastor Carter just read. We focus on some key passages from the Gospels of Mark, uh, Matthew, and Luke, and, and we throw in some from the Gospel of John about the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we say, this is the Christmas story! We say, this is why we sing joy to the world. But that's, that's only part of the story. Why is Christmas so intrinsically linked to this idea of joy? It's not just because the guy Isaac Watts wrote the words joy to the world in the 1800s. It's not because we see it on Christmas cards or on sweaters or wherever else you may see the word joy. Yes, the angels did promise what Pastor Carter read, good news of great joy for all people on the night that Jesus was born. But have you ever wondered why they did that? Why would the news fill the entire world with delight? Why would this news, more than any other, be so good and exceptionally satisfying? Because we desperately needed this news. It's the news we needed to hear. You see, we were created for joy. We all of us were created for delight, to experience a life so good and exceptionally satisfying that we would never lack for anything. I'm not saying you would lack for stuff. That's not what I mean there. When I say lack for anything, you would never lack for the things that matter most. Our lives would be so complete, so full, that no matter what we faced, no matter what we experienced, we would still feel whole, content. In other words, joyful. You see, God created the universe for his own pleasure, and he enjoyed doing it. The master creator, it, all that is creative in the world flows from him. Imagine, if you haven't done this for a while, use your imagination. Some of us, it may be a struggle, I, I understand. Like, I don't do that, Pastor Dwayne, what are you talking about? This is getting weird. It is, it's weird. <laughs> But imagine for a second, you're God at the beginning of time. Well, time doesn't exist yet because you're God and you're doing your thing and then you decide, you know what? I want to create this entire universe. I want to make this happen. I'm going to use my creativity to do it. So he paints the stars. He crafts mountains. He uh, puts the stripes on the zebras and the spots on the leopards. He had to have enjoyed himself as he did it. I mean, when I'm creating stuff, when I'm sitting and writing, I'm like, I get this giddy thing. Oh, look, oh, oh that's really, oh, I like that one. That's good. And I'm just me. God's like, look what I did. I created a platypus. <laughs> that's creativity. What the heck is that thing, God? I don't know. You have to name it, not me. I love it. 
He had to have enjoyed himself as he made sunflowers and rutabagas and sequoias. He had to have smiled and laughed when he, when he fashioned beluga whales and ladybugs and flamingos. But at the pinnacle of this moment of his joy, what does he do? He makes us. In a great, wondrous moment of sheer delight, he fashions man and woman in his image to glorify and serve him and to live and rule in a place that is full of joy and peace and spectacularly beautiful. This is why when he was all done, he looked over everything that he had made, all of his creation. He looks over and he goes, yeah, this is very good. The wondrous, joyous place because his presence was there. The fullness of joy is when we're with him. And he was there every single day. The Bible says that we, we, we walked and we talked with him. Well, we did, but Adam and Eve did. They knew him, and he knew them by name. And it was meant to be that way forever with all the children of Adam. Everyone that would come after them, we would all share that same joy-filled experience, a relationship with the one who made us, who loves us and knows us best. Remember that verse in the Psalms. In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't know about you, but when I think of forevermore, I can't even picture what that means which is why I have to gesture, forevermore. It seems like it must go on for infinity. And pleasures, the joys, the delight. Can you imagine being in a place where everything feels exceptionally good and satisfying? Because this world sure doesn't feel that way. This is the life that we were created for. But like we so frequently do as people, we blew it. Well, you didn't. I didn't do it. Adam and Eve did it, right? They fell for the lie that they didn't have enough. They fell for the falsehood that they needed more, and what they had wasn't exceptionally good, that what they had wasn't satisfying enough. So they take a couple bites of fruit, and it's over. They could no longer be in the presence of God, in the place where fullness of joy is. They could no longer be where joy is complete disobedience, pride, arrogance, the biblical word for this is sin, was now between us and God, and our world is completely robbed of joy because God takes himself out of it. If God is not in the world, there cannot be joy here because where is joy? Where is the fullness of joy? It's in his presence. Humanity could no longer experience this because we could no longer have the closeness with the creator that we were meant to have. No joy, no delight, nothing exceptionally good or satisfying in our lives, no fullness of joy. Merry Christmas, everybody. Sermon's over. (laughs) Thank God the story doesn't end there. Remember what I read about Tolkien? He wants to give the readers the, uh, the pleasure of the good ending. That's God. God wants to give us the pleasure, the joy of the good ending. Because on the very same day that Adam and Eve completely blow it for everybody else after them, God says this, he will create a way for us to come back into his presence. Even as he banishes them, even as he kicks them out of the garden, 
He promises that a way will come to bring them back into the fullness of joy. He promises them that someone will come who will restore what was broken. Amen. Amen. God promising a Savior right here in the book of Genesis is a big, huge, freaking deal. We don't talk about it as much as we should, but in theological terms, this is big stuff. I mean, big stuff. If I could do the echo, 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 big, 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 big stuff, 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 stuff. stuff. It's huge. Where does the book of, where does, where, does, where, where does our understanding of God begin? Where does it all start? In the book of Genesis, right? Right. So here, at the very beginning of everything, in Genesis chapter 3, we have something that biblical scholars, I'm going to do a little teaching again, just warning you, it's called the Proto-Evangelium. Gesundheit. <laughs> right? That's why we don't talk about it that much. Because it sounds weird. You, you are when you, uh, Merry Christmas, Pastor Wayne, and proto what? What are you talking about in your sermon? That means that's protoplasm? Well, I'm getting to that, I promise. Proto-evangelium. Proto in the Greek, as in prototype, protoplasm, protozoan. Proto is the Greek word for first or original. So proto first, original, and evangelium, also a Greek word. You may uh, recognize some of it. Evangelium has been shortened to the word evangel, evangelism, to be an evangelist. Evangelium means good news. So this moment in Genesis, the very moment that we mess it up and lose the fullness of joy, God gives us the Proto-Evangelium, the first good news, the original good news, the exact day that the worst possible thing happens when sin enters the world and a relationship with God is shattered and we can no longer experience that fullness of joy is the exact same day when the best possible thing is promised, that our relationship with God will be restored, that we can find ourselves in His presence again, in the fullness of delight, living lives that can be, yes, good, and what? Exceptionally satisfying. Our joy would be restored. The only trouble is it would take a lot longer than they expected. Adam and Eve leaving the garden, I'm sure they thought, okay, God's going to take care of this like in a week, because life out here is bad. <laughs> what is this work? Work is bad. Yeah, Adam and Eve, thanks. We all know that now, right? Adam, uh, their, their descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they wonder when it's going to happen. In fact, if you summarize all the Old Testament in a few words, it would be with, when is it going to happen? It takes place over thousands of years, but the descendants of Adam and Eve wonder when and how God would bring them back into his presence, back into the place where they could experience that relationship with him, where they can once again know the fullness of joy. He gives hints, of course. In the prophetic books, he talks about miraculous births and horrible deaths. He talks about the way that the one will come. And he even tells the prophet Micah exactly where the Savior will be born. But then God stops talking. He goes quiet. 
for 400 years. 400 years go by after that last hint. And thousands of years have gone by since the Proto-Evangelium. The original good news was given so long ago that people start to give up. They lose hope. They stop asking and wondering. Yeah, we know, it. We know there's a promised one that's going to come, but <laughs> when? I don't know. Let's just live our lives. Kind of sucks right now. Romans taking care of stuff. Boob. Kind of sounds like how we feel sometimes today, right? You look at the world and they see only its broken state. Like ours? It's a world that was clearly hurting. A world where there was so much that was wrong, you could barely hang on to what's right sometimes. And then sometimes we just, yeah, I'm going to stop looking. I'm going to stop listening. I'm, I'm done. God, best of luck with this world because it's a mess. It's when they stop looking and when they stop seeking and listening that God speaks. That's what happens with us too sometimes. I think you probably know what happens next. Pastor Ricardo read it, but if you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas at any point since it first aired in 1965, holy cow, that's been on the TV for a long time. You've seen Linus walk to the center of the stage and say, lights please. And then these words from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord showed round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. Those words are so familiar, and I love saying them. My mom used to be the choir director at our church when I was a kid. And I, for some reason, could memorize things really easily when I was little. And so my mom made me memorize the King James Version of the Christmas story. And I had an adenoid problem when I was little. And so I sounded a lot like Linus does. So I would say, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. I'm really glad my parents had the surgery for my adenoids to be taken, because that would sound weird today talking like that. Thank God for that. But I had to learn all that. And there's something beautiful about those words. There's nothing so familiar about them. But in the, familiar, the way we hear them, in which we see them, it causes us to forget the astounding, amazing, exceptionally good and satisfying thing that is happening here. Good tidings of great joy. And while I love the King James Version, with all its poetry and Shakespearean English, it allows the reader to miss something in these words. Good tidings. It sounds good. It's poetic and Christmassy, right? It sounds like God rest you merry gentlemen. Tidings of comfort and joy. Tidings. But it's mistranslated. The original Greek here in Luke, guess what it is? It's evangelium. Good news. The same word we use to describe what God promised back in Genesis. The proto-evangelium, the first good news was given the day that we blew it. The day we lost the fullness of joy. The day our relationship with God was severed. But this announcement from the angels to scared shepherds outside of Bethlehem, this is the second good news. And this news, this news, it says that the promise of God made thousands of years ago is being fulfilled. It's no matter a question of when, because when is now. And what God promised to restore the relationship, to bring us back into his presence, is happening. Good news of great joy for all people. So why is joy such an important part of Christmas? Why is the idea of joy so central to the announcement that God's promise had come to pass? 
Because without Jesus, we could never know joy. We would never truly understand what Tolkien called that, that catch of breath, a beat and lifting of the heart, near to or accompanied by tears. Happiness comes and goes. But when you can still feel delight in your heart, you know that your life is exceptionally good and satisfying, despite your circumstances, this is the fullness of joy that is only possible because Jesus came at Christmas. This is why Paul could write, always be full of joy in the Lord. And I will say it again, rejoice. This is why Jesus could say to his disciples and to us, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. Holy cow. I just got shivers reading that. You can't be robbed of the joy that is available to you because of the birth of Jesus Christ. Nobody can take it from you. If you need to say that to yourself, say it to yourself right now. Nobody can take it from me. And you can experience it every single day no matter what you face. I get it. This Christmas season, you may be struggling with joy. You may be thinking about things that work hard to steal your joy. And there are plenty of them after all. Just turn on the news for five seconds. War, economic uncertainty, job losses, inflation, politics, unrest, anger, your kids. Your parents, if you're a kid and your parents, you know, we always go, oh, the kids. You know what, mom and dad, sometimes you're the problem. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> the angel promised that the good news was for all people. The great joy was for everyone. That includes you today, no matter what you're facing. Jesus himself promises that no one can rob you of that joy. So do not let the enemy try to do to you what he did to Adam and Eve back at the beginning of the story. The fullness of joy can be yours and mine this Christmas. It's literally right there. And the good news given by the angels or the shepherds, but meant for all of us. Your life can be filled with great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. You can have that life right now. Just let the message of the angels, the celebration of the Savior's birth, all the sights and the smells and the sounds of this season. I'm sorry I'm talking so fast, but I get so excited about this. My heart is like beating like crazy right now. Because our, guys, our world just needs us. Christians, why are you so grumpy? Why are you so unfriendly? Why when you order your drink at Starbucks, do you look like you're pissed off? You of all people should be filled with great joy. We have so much to rejoice about. So let everything that Christmas is do more than just bring back a good memory or a good feeling. Oh, Christmas is really good this year. I don't want your Christmas to be good. Jesus didn't come so we'd have a good Christmas. He came so that we could be brought back into God's presence and experience the fullness of joy. So my prayer for all of us, okay, just, I'm, not just, I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to all of us right now, whether you're here, whether you're listening online, may your Christmas remind you of God's promise fulfilled. The hope and contentment that can be ours because Jesus was born. The good news that is better, greater, and far more wonderful than anything you may remember. 
good news of what? Great joy. My prayer for all of us this season is this. Paul said it. I want all of you to share that joy. I want all of you to share that joy. You, 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 uh, well, all of you. And all of you, and anyone online, and if we have it, then let's take it out to the world and give it to them because God knows they need it. So yes, I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. And when you rejoice, I will share your joy. And as Jesus himself says to us, let no one rob you of that joy. Joy to the world. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me? Wow. After all that excitement, you're like, well, time to stand up and have some joy. Okay. God is so good. Jesus came. Not just so we'd have good feelings and sing songs and feel ooh, warm feelings, but that our joy would be complete. The fullness of joy can be ours because of what Jesus did. He came. He didn't have to, but he did for you and for you. For you. I can't believe he came for me. I don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. But God is so good. That alone should fill our hearts with delight. Knowing that he loves you, that he gave up heaven for you, should make us feel so exceptionally good and satisfied. So when we say joy this season, let's not use it when we talk about a hamburger. Let's not use it when we talk about something that's fleeting. Let's be joyful. Let's be joy-filled. And let's go share that joy with the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart, that's all of us, let every heart prepare him room. And what? Let heaven and nature sing. Dear Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for coming at Christmas. Thank you for being the baby that came and was born in that, in that dusty little town in Israel, in the little town of Bethlehem, on a dark, quiet night when all of heaven rejoiced and brought the message to the shepherds. It was a message of joy that we could come back to your presence, God, that we could be filled with your joy because you are where joy is found. It's not in our circumstances. It's not in our stuff. It's not where we, what we have. It's in you. And you brought that back for us. Oh God, may we all in this room walk out of this place today filled with such joy that no matter what happens in the car ride on the way home, no matter if our Amazon delivery is delayed, no matter if our order is late at the restaurant we're going to for lunch today, no matter if we're facing bad news, no matter if our marriages are struggling, no matter what we face, God, we can still feel and be filled with joy because of you. God, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for Christmas. 
Thank you for what it means for us. For the Proto-Evangelium, way back at the beginning, to the good news today that's ours to share with the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas and joy to the world. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.